Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and this is your source for conversations on arts and culture. Today, I am super excited to welcome two guests representing the American Craft Council and its Emerging Artist Program. Please welcome the Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships for the American Craft Council, Gwen Rokenbrod-Smith, and a local artist who creates clothing influenced by traditional sources in Africa, Asia, Native American culture, and Europe, participating in the Emerging Artist Program, Sahir Prezada. I mean, if you two could um, please introduce yourselves. Um, start off, please, uh, Gwen, could you introduce yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Gwen Rookenbrod-Smith, and I am the Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships with the American Craft Council. Uh, good morning. My name is Sahir Prezada. And uh, I'm a fiber artist, clothing designer, um, and general creative. Thank you. I, I like I like that general creative. I like that. I yeah. like that. <laughs> and um, so so thank you both for for making the time and, and being on here. And we're going to be, uh, I guess, ping ponging a little bit. Just think of it like tennis, but with questions instead of like the little green balls or have you. So. You know, for starters, um, Gwen, could you, you know, tell us about like your first experience with with art and craft or craft and art? It's probably craft and art. I think we're, you know, craft council. I think it's craft and art. So if you could tell us your first experience. Absolutely. So um, the first like memory that I have was in kindergarten. And I don't know if you all ever experienced this, but there's a technique that art teachers used to do with kids where you would take different color crayons and you would color the whole sheet of paper and then you would cover it with black crayon. And then you would pull with your scissors the black off and then the color would be revealed. And I made a turkey in that process that got entered into a contest and it actually became, it was like a calendar contest. And of course we all know it was a turkey. So it was the month of April, right? That it, no, I'm just kidding. It was actually the month of November that it ended up being the image for the month of November. And when, way back when we had printed calendars, that was my, my first award, my first realization that maybe I could make something that people would admire and appreciate and actually even maybe like really enjoy and 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 find beauty in sounds like the uh top turkey there it was a top but i'm I'm, I'm very corny i am very corny well and you could tell me too right because it's the month of april right (laughs) (laughs) so sahara could you could you tell us about like your first experience with with craft with art with general creativity well my my family is uh was a family of artists so very, very early on, I, I was sewing and drawing, and uh, my mother was a uh, you know, professional artist. She was the first African-American medical illustrator trained here in, at Hopkins in the 50s. So um, we were always immersed uh, in art, and um, my grandmother made me sew, hand sewing uh, at an early age, which still today I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I think that's her fault. And uh, so, but I, I never wanted to look like anybody else. So that kind of really moved me into clothing. And uh, I had an aunt who was a children's wear designer very early on. It was also in the 50s and 60s. So we never really had clothes that looked like what anybody else had. So that, that was always in my brain. Oh, she has that. I don't want that. I want something different. So that got me on the road to becoming a clothing designer. Thank you. I, I like that. Uh, it's like, I don't want, I'm not wearing anything else. Anybody else? I'm doing my own thing, make mm-hmm. my own stuff. Um, I, 
every now and again, I work with sort of the um, some of the local makers here and I'll get like, you know, I can go to like Red Bubble and get a bunch of like merch made and shirts made, but it all looks the same and people like it, but it all looks the same. So I'll go to some of my maker friends and it's like, can you do this in your style, your interpretation? Because I want mm. something unique. And then I start walking around. It's like, I realize I'm just advertising this thing, but it looks really cool. And people ask me, where'd you get that hat? I was like, oh, I had that made. I didn't know you had hats in the store, bro. I was like, man, I had that commission, bro. I don't like to have anything else y'all have. <laughs> so, Gwen, could you could you tell us like how you got started with American Craft Council and a bit about the mission? Yeah, absolutely. So, I actually am trained as a hot class artist, um, not formally trained, but um, trained nonetheless. Um, I actually weirdly had an opportunity to travel to Chiang Mai, Thailand, in 1998 to help build um, an American living over there, a hot flash shop for with a, a friend of mine. And after helping build it, I learned to blow glass. So I actually, when I came back to the States, started practicing my glass full time. This was 27 years ago and um, actually did do the show circuit. Um, so artists in the craft world and actually all art world make a living in a couple of different ways, but many of them do like craft fairs and art festivals and that sort of thing. So I did that to sell my work in exchange for money so I could pay my bills and um, did that for about seven years. And ACC um, shows were in that show circuit of mine that I did. Um, and so I've been part of the American Craft Council in some iteration since 1998 and have been a member. Um, when I moved more kind of solidly into focusing on arts administration, because I fell in love with an artist. And so he is way more talented than I, and so I wanted to give him the space to practice his creative practice, and I moved into more of the arts admin side of things. Um, I've been involved kind of with the American Craft Council through a variety of their projects, and then in March of 2021, they hired me as a consultant to help them reimagine um, a program and go back to the funder and ask them if we could use the money in a new way because of the pandemic, things are in-person marketplaces had paused and that was what the funding originally was for. And then October 1st of um, 2022, they hired me on as full-time staff. Um, so I've kind of had this really interesting kind of relationship with ACC throughout the 27 years in my in the craft world. Wow. So, yeah. so I, I want to double double up actually um, because you, you touched on a little bit there. Um, so, could you tell us more about your role as um, senior director of programs and partnerships? Yeah, absolutely. So, technically, um, my job description calls me the chief strategist, which really makes me laugh a lot because it sounds super important. But apparently, I am, my job is really to help evolve programs that really can create more meaningful value to craft artists. Um, and this, we serve craft artists from the emerging craft artist to someone who's more um, advanced in their career and more established um, and really help kind of broaden the relationship between craft and our society. Um, thinking about using that, um, leveraging the unique capacity craft has to create more connections and vibrant, sustainable, just communities. Um, so that's kind of the, the, what the role says I need to be doing. In general, I work um, with all the program uh, managers and directors that run each different program. And we're working together to kind of see how do we need to evolve um, today on a post I want to say endemic world, right? A post pandemic, kind of more into the endemic world um, and create programs that continue to support the way craft artists have evolved over the last three years, because 
that acceleration of evolution in the craft world and the art world um, happened during the pandemic pretty drastically. And so we really need to kind of figure out coming on the other side, how do we continue to support artists who have found many different ways to make a living in the field? Thank you. Yeah. So here, um, could you tell us about your, your work or what have you as I'm, I'm learning that, you know, working with and being a part of the program that we'll discuss a little bit more later, but I at least want to give you the the space to speak about um, your work, your process and like ultimately, you know, when did you get to the, like this stage, sort of this body of, of, of craft, this body of work? Well, um, although I still consider myself an emerging artist because I think until we're comfortable financially, <laughs> from our art yeah. um, it you know you still feel like you're emerging and um i started creating my own patterns on fabric i guess it's been about 30 years um i used to work with uh, a lot of mud cloth i had mud cloth in nordstrom's i was you know wholesaling nobody had mud cloth in nordstrom of all places um but then uh the bottom fell out of the market with the cost of mud cloth, it became very, very inexpensive. So my husband, who is from Pakistan, said, why don't you learn to block print? And uh, I've been block printing my own fabric for many, many years now. And I've, that is, is the core of, of what I do. And um, I've, I've found it very, very fulfilling because it's, it's not so easy to be copied. You still get copied, um, which is, you know, which is OK. But, um, you know, it's it's not it's complimentary, but not <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but um, so so that's kind of how I work. And I, I print on on any kind of fabric from natural fibers to polyester, anything that will hold the print. And uh, I just have a love of, of fabric and patterns. And uh, um, it's it's made the work much more interesting. You know, I still do a lot of, of individual work, couture work, um, prom gowns and that sort of thing. But that's not exactly, you know, where my love is. You know, we do do as artists things that we have to do to pay the bills. And um, I haven't worked for anybody other than myself for many, many years. And I, I'll say it's, it's not for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I don't know anything about um block printing so could you just like describe what that is yes and I, i'll show you although your audience isn't can't see it well this, this is, is, me. <laughs> this, is yeah, this is for you this is one of my wood blocks oh, wow. and um i you know they get dipped in the paint and then you press it onto the fabric and um it seems like it would be easy but it's actually uh very physical and uh, it, you know, my body is taking, you know, a toll. Um, and even from the from the paint, you, you know, we begin to suffer from the fumes and, you know, and and all of those things. So, um, but it's it's a lot of fun when you see, you know, what comes out of it. And you know, sometimes I have workshops where I, you know, teach kids how to, you know, how to do it. You know, they call it stamping when it's, you know, when it's on a kid level. So. Um, that's that's kind of the process. I generally cut my shapes first and then print because the the shape of the garment kind of dictates where I go with the pattern. And and my blocks are like paintbrushes for me. Nice. And uh, I don't carve the blocks. 
like I, but I designed the blocks and the, the people who carve them are, you know, families of people in Pakistan who do that for a living. So that's one of the things I do when I go overseas is, uh, is, you know, get new blocks. It's always fun to get new blocks. Oh, look at this. Look at that. <laughs> in, like in the same vein of having this sort of exclusive, like fabric and textiles and fibers and such, uh, I might have to hit you up about a caftan or something. I know that's a large project. I'm a, I'm a large person. I'm six, four. <laughs> oh, that's nice though. It's a big palette. That's like with the big painting. <laughs> <laughs> so, Let's 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 talk a little bit about um, and I want to get um, from from both your vantage points from a, a sort of programming standpoint and as a participant or a member within the program. Um, what's the emerging arts pro, um, artist program? Um, you know, we're now in our 12th year for the American Craft Made Emerging Artist Program. Um, we had a different iteration pre-pandemic. We've kind of reimagined it. And so bringing it back in 2022, when we were in Baltimore um, last May, um, we kind of um, reimagined it to be a little bit different in the show floor visually. But it's a program that really um, is juried. So the artists do apply and we have jurors that, you know, look at the applications and give it a score. And we um, accept like the top scoring um, individuals. So this year we had over 200 applications for the Emerging Artists Program. Um, we um, accepted 40 individuals into the program. Um, and basically we provide a pathway for artists who are either early career or new to the craft world um, and want to try a craft marketplace as a potential opportunity for them to actually sell their wares and the work that they make. Um, we offer a subsidized booth cost. And actually this past two years, um, thanks to the Wingate Charitable Foundation, those booth costs have been $0 for artists. So they have covered those costs for um, the emerging artists. So emerging artists really can actually have an opportunity to try the American Craft Council, um, American Craft Made Show, and really see if it's a right opportunity for them, if the customers are there for them, and you know, it feels like it's a good fit, which is a really great way for them to test a market without actually having to be fully committed to a full booth fee. That's that's great. That you know, just provides a bit of of equity because sometimes the I think the financial component can be a challenge. Um I know that from from my vantage point in, in doing this and being in this border of storytelling, journalism and all of that, um, when there's opportunities to attend maybe some sort of like art fair or something that's a networking opportunity, I try to budget out whether it's for my own personal budget or any same thing discretionary that I, I may have. Like, how can I have another like a younger, more emerging artist like come that's interested in podcasting journalism so they can be dipped because otherwise they may not go and they may miss out on that opportunity. So having sort of that that space to do that, kind of getting past the financial hurdle can be really, really powerful and impactful. Yeah, it can. And it is a definitely it allows us to do two things. It allows people to test the market, the American Craft Council's marketplace market, because, of course, you know, our craft show is going to attract a specific audience that may be the audience for artists that may not be. So to be able to try and test that before investing multiple thousands of dollars um, is huge. But it also we provide some professional development training and support as well, which Sahara was part of because she did attend some of those workshops we did leading up to. Um, so, you know, 
it's not just about a marketplace, but how do we set artists up with the skill sets that they need in order to make them um, set themselves up for as much success as possible at the actual marketplace itself too. And then that accessibility part is, is really important to us because um, not everybody can afford, you know, 400 or $700 for a booth plus travel costs too, if you're coming from another city. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Especially considering what you were touching on earlier of like that the experience of, of, of craft and doing fairs and doing markets has changed considerably. And, you know, I, I do I go to conventions and things of the sort and I'm like, OK, Sunday is getaway day. And I see that people are like, hey, man, I'm selling these books for like 75 percent off because I don't feel like taking them back with me. <laughs> so that travel component is definitely a consideration. Yes, it is. So, so, hey, what, what, what is your um, response? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I feel uh, honored to have been accepted into the program. I mean, it's always an honor to get into any jury show because there's so many people, there's so many talented artists out there, and uh, you just never know. And a lot of shows ha are, are very expensive just to apply, um, even locally here in Baltimore, uh, Artscape, which Baltimore is so well known for, um, I've never been able to really do it because of the expense of applying. You know, I, I never have the money right at the time I need to have it to apply. You know, something else is due, a bill is due. And you have to plan so far in advance also. You know, these things are not, you know, uh, we're having a party, come and, and take a booth yeah. on the weekend. These things, uh, you have to have kind of a year plan. And for many artists, you know, I mean, I never have money that far in advance to to even be sure of of where I'm going to go. And I, I've never been able to do the circuit uh, in that way. Yeah. You know, I stopped kind of midway to take care of my parents. Um, so I, you know, stopped working. I really had the backing of um, of family and, uh, you know, and, and friends, you know, customers I've had over the years. So. Most of my selling has been, you know, just direct. You know, I've had an occasional subsidized shop um, originally from D.C., so that was in Washington. Now I'm Baltimore-based. And um, it's, you know, it's it's a real honor. I've been waiting for years to get into the ACC. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to see. Usually I don't have a problem selling my things. Uh, everybody seems to like them, but you never know. You never know when you go to a show, no matter how much you paid and no matter how much someone else is making, you never know how much you're going to make. So we have to pre-produce product uh, in order to have product on hand to sell. Yeah. You know, hopefully we can take uh, orders also. Um, you know, some of us do that uh, when we're at shows. But um, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I've been you know working hard to uh, develop enough merchandise to make a great showing so that and, and, and it's, it's almost as if you both have the questions already that's almost a nice segue into this next part um could you could you tell us about like your feelings leading into this sort of like upcoming show what are you looking forward to and um how do you see see your career as an artist like growing i i think you're emerging more than emerging i think you're emerging plus you know plus <laughs> plus plus but um please you know share share your thoughts on that, those areas well um I, I would like to, I like dealing directly with people. So um, although I, you know, used to do some wholesaling, I actually couldn't keep up with orders because I was, you know, basically a, a one person show. 
So, you know, didn't have um, money to hire somebody. And then sometimes you hire somebody and, and they don't know what they're doing or you spend more time teaching them than, you know, you could just do it yourself. So but it's, it's very hard to keep up uh, with quantities when you're doing things you know, by yourself. So um, I, I see growing enough to be comfortable um, enough to be um, still sustainable. I classify myself as sustainable because I do a lot of one of a kind and I, I don't want to leave uh, that big a footprint uh, with what I'm doing. And, and you can't help but have some waste. I mean, fashion is the biggest uh, trash uh, creator of, of, you know, of any other industry, really. So um, I don't, I don't want to be so much of a part of that got to be a little little bit of a part of that there's always some waste with whatever you're doing but uh lessen the waste and uh, just continue to expand my audience so that i can eliminate those things that i don't want to do like like doing couture that that is um you know most people don't get block printed prom gowns so <laughs> so you know doing individual work for for customers who really like my work is is very different than than doing uh you know a prom gown yeah. so i i would like to keep my focus and and continue to broaden my focus so that i can do what i enjoy doing the most and uh you know continue to survive off of that and that that would include having my own shop at some point um and uh, perhaps supplying small quantities to to shops that that occasionally a lot of craft shops don't carry clothes they don't have the space for clothes especially you know large items yeah. so uh, i would like to add maybe some accessories you know tote bags and those kinds of things that can still be block printed and made so that there's some smaller items that uh stores can carry clothing yeah. takes up a lot of space uh, again, as a six foot four person, yes, <laughs> traveling is a hassle. It's like I got one pair of shoes in here. I hope I'm not going out to any place classy because I can't work out and train. I can't work out in loafers, but also I can't go to like a nice dinner in trainers. Uh, it's considerations that are being made. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely space and volume. And I, I have a few ideas, uh, definitely. And we will have to chat offline. I have a few ideas um, that I want to share with you. Okay. And Gwen, from your standpoint, what are you what are you looking forward to the upcoming uh, craft made uh, marketplace um, thoughts and in, in that? And from there, we're going to lead into some rapid fire questions. That sounds great. Um, yeah, so our marketplace is, is coming um, March 3rd through the 5th at the Baltimore Convention Center. It's our 46th year. Um, what I'm really looking forward to is um, we have 350 artists there, and a lot of the artists were doing the show, the American Craft Council show, when I did the show in the 90s. And so to revisit, they're my friends. So I'm really excited to see a lot of my friends and reconnect. Just a lot of them I maybe haven't seen since before the pandemic. Mm. Um, but also I'm really excited to, I've done a lot of work with the Emerging Artist Program since that's a program that I oversee. And I'm excited to actually meet the, a lot of the emerging artists like Sahar in 3D um, because I've <laughs> had a lot of opportunity to get to know them online and really actually see their work in person because most of the work and the experience I've had with their work um, and the interactions all been the digital. And so I just love being able to see things, touch things, pick things 
things up, um, try things on when it comes to clothes. Um, and so I not only am excited to kind of reconnect with old friends, but meet and make new ones and then see just really amazing products that um, get me very excited. Um, I try to kind of embrace what I call handmade life. And so most of the things in my home, most of the things that I drink from at home, all are handmade. And it's just kind of my it's it's my it really embraces my ethos of my way of living um because yes fashion in particular is one of the way, most wasteful um you know sectors out there and so like a lot of our fashion um artists that make clothing and accessories really work to be as sustainable as possible and have that small footprint so to be able to support them because i will shop the show as well um even though i'm working and it's my job um, because i love supporting artists and then acquiring new things of course is really wonderful and then knowing that you're buying high quality handmade objects made from you know somebody a, a really special person who has a beautiful creative vision like just really excites me thank you that's that's great that's great so this is the uh sort of rapid fire portion and i i, I want to try to get answers from both of you on there so you got four of them uh you know they're a little bit all over the place but i think it you know allows for a person to get under the hood and kind of understand the guests a little bit more from maybe a different context um so here's the first one and again it's back and forth rapid fire don't overthink it uh Let's say, uh, let me let me frame it this way. Um, let's say we exclude any health restrictions, right? Uh, any health issues that can come out of it. What is a food, a meal that you could eat every day? This mine is probably chips. <laughs> you know, particular flavor? Because, I mean, we, we're talking chips now. I mean, you got big chip here. What, what, plain, <laughs> plain, you know, just us, rough, you know, uh, uh, ruffles with lots of salt. <laughs> <laughs> See, definitely, I like that framing of adding. So, don't worry about the health component because you're like, yeah, a lot of it's just all. Yeah, when you added that, that opened the doors. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a food, but I mean, mine is not near exciting as chips, but apples. I love pink lady apples are my thing. Um, so, a pink lady apple with peanut butter every day for lunch. Ooh, oh my! <laughs> I do eat an apple a day. That's nice and healthy. <laughs> Chunky or, or creamy peanut butter. Creamy, creamy, natural peanut butter. None of this like artificially sweetened peanut butter stuff. <laughs> Got it. We we we, all, we always have some in the in the crib. Um, like I, I I'm I'm definitely a chunky guy, and I, I try to get very. I have some peanut butter downstairs that is very bougie, and it was like I think thirteen dollars. So we'll see. But we keep some of the the garbage peanut butter, if you will, on the side because <laughs> we have like a um, a ninety pound sheeper doodle, and he's very food made it motivated, and he eats peanut butter before he goes to sleep. Oh, that's wow. like his. Yeah. That's like tucking him home. We have a dog peanut butter, and then yeah. we have a human peanut butter in our cabinet. <laughs> Dogs love their peanut butter. I get that, Rob. I get it. <laughs> uh, for um, whether it's in your let's 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 frame it as career. Um, what has gotten you further in your career? Book smarts or street smarts? Street smarts for me. Yeah, I would say street. I would say street smarts. You know, although I I appreciate um what I've learned from books, and I I certainly appreciated all of the pre-preparing uh, that the ACC, nobody else does that. Yeah. Nobody else uh, offers any help. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, sometimes there, there are things that you already know, but there's so many things that you might not have thought of. So mm. a little of both, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to school for my MBA, so I certainly have the books, smart education opportunity and privilege. 
but it's um, a lot of it is really the street smarts that mm-hmm. I found um, understanding how to navigate humans and human personalities. And, um, you know, that they don't teach you necessarily unless you go Not to school psychology, mm-hmm. right? And so learning how to do navigate that, move through the world, um, you know, making connections, making authentic connections, which I think are really important. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think the book smarts gets in the way for people to feel comfortable being their authentic self. Um, <clears throat> so while there's a benefit for the book smart, I think it's definitely the street smart for me. Mm-hmm. That- yeah, I hear that. I that, mean, that, well. that hits because um, I think, you know, the I think the book smarts in some regards may provide sort of that foundation, but the street smarts gives you the way to apply it in the lab in real life and in, in practice. It's like 100%. from theory to practice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's the most recent song you listen to? I'm a big music guy. I always have something in my ears. I'm always listening to something. Um, I think I was listening to Alicia Keys Diary before I got on here on a like loop. I think it played like 10 times in a row. I was like, man, this song still slaps. So <laughs> what's the most recent song you listen to? Goodness. Mine would be uh, I'm, I'm costuming a, uh, a show, which I do every year for a high school in, in Prince George's County. And uh, this year, again, they're doing Motown. So I've been kind of immersed in Motown, uh, not necessarily by choice. Um, strangely, by choice, I I love the Bridgerton soundtrack. <laughs> so, I listen to that a lot when I'm working. That's funny. Um, so I really love hip hop. I love to listen to all hip hop, um, but I've really, um, Rihanna at the Super Bowl, her her performance really got me back into like dipping back into like old school Rihanna, which has been really nice. And so I've been listening to a lot of that while I've been working and that sort of thing. And then, of course, Lizzo is always such an uplifting person to listen to her songs. Um, and while I like new school Lizzo, if you go back to her old original stuff, that stuff is really deep quality and really um, inspiring. And the kind of story she's telling through those songs um, really are inspiring to me. So, like, that's what a lot what I've been listening to lately. Thank you. And um, definitely the, I think the Super Bowl and that sort of stuff, definitely you can look at the metrics and you can see the number of streams that go up, you know, mm-hmm. for a person or even when there's a biopic that, that comes out. Um, I saw the, I think the last movie I, I saw in theaters. So one of the last movies I saw in theaters was the uh, Whitney Houston biopic. And I just mm. had like the playlist going. So, you know, when the algorithms hit you, it's like, oh, well, you love this new Whitney Houston remix. I was like, I wasn't looking for that, bro. Like I, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this era. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the last one, and this is really a, the, the the shortest one, I think. Um, coffee or tea? What's your preference? Tea for me. Mine is coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Ooh. <laughs> it's a very um creative, artistic answer. I, I've, I've been joking with artists recently. Of it's like it's either this or it's that. It's like yeah, but here's the extra context. This is how I'm going to like change it up for you a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I do a cup in the morning and then and in French press. I'm a big French press coffee person. Um, And then in the afternoon, I'll have like a cup of ginger tea and about four o'clock and something like that. That just kind of warms you up, but doesn't necessarily caffeinate you so that I can actually sleep at night. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll raise you this one, Gwen. You you might you might find this one interesting. So this morning I have a combination of French press uh, cardamom coffee with um, lion's mane mushroom coffee. In there as well so it's like a shot of the other one yes and, add the lion's mane or it or there's a coffee that has that in it 
it's a, it's a, um, it's, I think it's dried and grounded lion's mane. I think it's called like four Sigma. So you can use that as a coffee replacement if you like. So I had the little packet of it. I was like, it's going to dump some of that in there see how that goes. And it tastes like the cardamom coffee. I don't really taste it. So it's really good. And it's, um, it's good for, 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 for thinking what have you first thing in the morning, kind of getting that, the synapses firing. And, um, and, but here's the, the, the other part that I think is kind of funny. Um, during, during the week, if I'm feeling like I need a treat, I'll get a, um, a dirty chai latte, which is essentially both with like an extra shot of espresso. (laughs) (laughs) I'm living dangerously. That's just what it is. You're living on the edge. You're living on the edge. (laughs) Absolutely. So. I want to thank both of you for coming on. Um, I really appreciate the time and, and sharing a bit about your work, your story, and American Craft Council. And um, if you will, um, tell the fine folks, you know, like, find, like I guess this is the shameless plug portion. Anything you want to share in the final moments, dates, website, social media, the floor is yours. So please. Oh, my. Well, um, I do have a website, and uh, you'll find a variety of things on the website from things that I make, things that I uh, hope will, will make money so that I can keep making money. Um, and that's just my name, saharpierzada.com, uh, S-E-H-A-R-P-E-E-R-Z-A-D-A. I have to spell that all the time, so <laughs> I'm used to spelling it. And uh, my, my email is, is the same, and um, even my IG would be the same, at saharpierzada.com. And, uh, you know, always posting lots of pictures and promotions. Um, I'm doing a, a talk for the uh, Silver Spring Library, March 29th, uh, about um, modesty in fashion and uh, how fashion uh, impacts us uh, culturally and, and vice versa. So just doing a few things here and there, participating in, in a few shows. There's, I'm also participating in a doll show that is um at the ooh, i can't remember the name so at the maritime uh, museum there's a gallery there um and that'll be running through march through march through women's history month and it's not just my dolls they're dolls created by 12 uh doll designers really a really great show thank you go and see take your kids <laughs> thank you um, my shameless plug, of course, is I want everybody to come on down to the Baltimore Convention Center, March 3rd through the 5th. Um, check out the artists um, that are there. Um, we also are going to have um, four schools. So we um, have a section called School to Market where students get to come from their school that are going through formal craft programs. They get to set up and you get to see some of the students' work and that work will be for sale. And then we have eight local craft um, partners that will be setting up um, coming from both Philly, D.C. and the Baltimore regions, major craft organizations setting up, demonstrating, offering hands-on activities um, for the attendees to explore and then get to know the craft organizations in the region, which is really exciting. Um, And then, of course, you know, if you want to come, go to craftcouncil.org, which is our website, to check out how to secure tickets. And also, um, you can check out our social media, which on Instagram is uh, at craftcouncil. And you get a discount if you buy your tickets early. Yes, you do. <laughs> and if you email uh, Sahar, she might actually give you a special discount code to get in for free because you've got some tickets you can give away, right? Oh, wow. Yes. 
I'll do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Gwen Rokenbrod-Smith and Sahir Pirzada for coming on to the podcast. Um, Representing the American Craft Council. Go to the American Craft Council. Check out the the fair. Check out the market. I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, craft in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Oh,